think it's cute that it counts down to recording as if I'm not going to cut it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, like as if... I mean, the way to go. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, welcome. It's joking with friends. Near, near, near. <laughs> but actually, hello and welcome, welcome. <laughs> to Talking with Friends. Today we're covering uh, the Shadow of the Past and Three is Company, which roughly corresponds with minutes 32 to 46 of the extended edition of fellowship of the ring and um but before we dive into that i wanted to ask you a question anna i'm prepared what would you say is the purpose of fantasy okay so since i know you're gonna try to get deep with this i have two answers um, I think the first um, is sort of like the escapism response. Um, life is hard. Uh, things get cray. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just need to explore and live out our dreams. But, um, you know, through a book, through a TV show, through a movie. It's supposed to be fun and fantastical and take our minds off of the hardships that we might, you know, face every day. Fair. Then there are, there's this sort of like learning a lesson reason. So if you're trying to teach someone something difficult or you yourself is trying to explore um, a lesson or a moral or something difficult, I think consuming that content in a non-realistic way actually helps you comprehend that um, that lesson or that moral. Yeah, I think like I think the escapism answer is totally valid and I think there's a lot of things that probably lend itself more to escapism, right? Like, um, Josh has been playing Elden Ring a lot this week. The new one? Yes. And it's like, you know, there's not, I mean, I'm sure there is some kind of story driving the action within or whatever, but really it's not like talking about anything. It's just, you're just kind of like immersed in a place that isn't real with like insane, um, elements right like everything is kind of like dialed up to a 10 and it's very like pretty but also scary you know it's like uh you just are literally living a different life during that time or and I think that there are definitely stories where um you really don't have to like think too much when you're experiencing them like they just can like wash over you and you can enjoy it and I think that's great but you know this week um so there's a thing, particularly on Instagram, where they're doing, like, Middle Earth March. And there's some prompts, but, you know, essentially people have been taking these, like, really pretty photos of, like, their Lord of the Rings stuff and tagging it with Middle Earth March. And I saw that one girl had, you know, I was, like, perusing the hashtag, and she had, in her caption, talked about, like, how... You know, she was excited about Middle Earth March, but also, like, referring to Lord of the Rings as escapism. And to me, that doesn't really seem to be a a great fit for Lord of the Rings. Like, for me, the thing that has really drawn me to it 
and you know probably has made me like hyper fixate on it and led us to literally here talking about it um is how it it really provides like a new way to look at our world right like it deals with a lot of things that are super applicable to us like everything from industrialization and racism to like just general friendship and courage and you know you know emotional things you know like Mm -hmm. like on a personal level and like on a macro level it's it's got a lot of applicability which i think was the point for tolkien you know like people like in the foreword he talks about how he does not want people to call it allegory he doesn't want people to draw these one for one comparisons to particularly world war ii he was like y'all i wrote this way like i started this way before um but like probably his experiences with world war one informed a lot of the way he sees things but it's not it just has so many i think real world applications and i think that that is something that's also something that i really enjoyed about harry potter too the way that they she kind of had you deal with i mean i think racism is also there with like the muggleborns and yeah that and then um but also like how just like general societal inequities or like um dealing with authority figures that maybe don't and like don't really have your best interest at heart you know um so I think it it falls into like that category for me of like yes there is elements of it I mean it is um maybe you can escape into Lord of the Rings but I feel like every time I read it I I can't unsee the things that apply to us now mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. so um you know like one of the examples that um i think is just like the first thing that i come to mind maybe because of all the drama around the lord of the rings on prime tv show is like racism um because it deals with i mean obviously like the it's obvious in some instances right like it's people coming from multiple races uh Mm -hmm. to overcome their differences and to fight against evil but um and it has a ton of different applications too um but there and but then there are like little things that he puts in there that it's like i feel like reinforces that overall maybe you could call it an anti-racist theme um but like in the prologue he talks about how hobbits used to have a closer relationship to the elves at one time um and like they he's basically positing that either the hobbits learned from the dunedain who are like aragorn's kind of people or um the elves about like how to build and to craft um but as they spoke less with the elves they grew afraid of them and then distrusted those who dealt with them and like that sounds very modern (laughs) yeah i mean it doesn't that sound how like whether it's racism whether it's like xenophobia you know like whether it's like you not having experience with 
people that are different from you generally seems to be rooted in like a place of fear you know like just like broadly speaking mm-hmm. and um and i think that it he constantly is saying stuff like how the shire is trying to pretend that it's isolated when it's not and therefore that's kind of how they run into problems later you know so mm-hmm. it, that's that's how i see lord of the rings that's how it um really I think that's like the sticky factor for me like why I keep coming back to it you know because it is it's more than Middle Earth it tugs on your heartstrings because it also talks about those elements as well yeah I mean it's just like oh like I feel like I learned something about not just not just like the lore and stuff of Middle Earth but I feel like I learned stuff about our own life and like our own society as well as myself like every time I read it I'm like oh shit oh damn you know (laughs) know, every time I read it I see something new in it and I think that's what I love about it so much um and so with that being said um I kind of want to mainly focus this episode on my main man Gandalf because in Shadow of the Past he is really explaining to Frodo what the heck is going on. And I think they do it well in the film. Like, obviously that is like the the sense of urgency in the film is heightened. And I think that that truly makes sense. Like I was thinking about it last night, how Gandalf shows up like at the end of April of the year that things start to go down. And after like figuring out, like finding the scroll from Isildur and Minas Tirith, and he comes back to be like, "Pretty sure I know what this ring is." Uh oh, I just have one more test. <laughs> uh, and so it's been like nine years since Frodo last last, last seen him. It's like the end of April. He leaves in the end of June, and is like, "You definitely have to leave by like your birthday." And that isn't, and Frodo doesn't leave so until like September 22nd or something. And it's just like, as a moviegoer, could you imagine if they had like stayed true to the books like that? No. It would have been like, oh, I thought, I thought we were supposed to be afraid. <laughs> like, I thought Is we were supposed not to be urgent? Worried. Yeah. Are there people not like actively hunting you and you're just like la, 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 la. I know so it's like it's funny because Sau- or Gandalf literally tells Frodo that Sauron now knows that Frodo like the ring is in the Shire um so I don't know that that is a little bit of a disconnect so it's like I love that the the film sped that up but then to do that they lose a lot of the dialogue that happens here which they repurpose in some ways like there's a lot of really golden lines from Gandalf that they get to reuse um later like he says like this is the point where he says I I will help you bear this burden they move it to the council of Elrond when he's like officially saying I will take their that makes so much sense Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and then with the emotional hits of like explaining to Frodo about Gollum 
they don't bring that they don't use that until um Frodo realizes that Gollum is following them later in like the Mines of Moria. Okay, okay. Which you know, we'll we can talk more about that later, but it's like I think it was I think there are so many instances of like where you can see Peter Jackson's team really thinking about like how do we keep this character intact as much as possible because the way that Gandalf talks it like everything that Tolkien writes for him I feel like is like a gem like you just want Ian McKellen to say that 100 (laughs) percent like there are so many things where I'm like can we get Ian McKellen on the line to just read all of his lines (laughs) because there are some I think in the two towers particularly like things that get cut where I'm like I really need him to say this. It would sound so good. He is so perfect for it. It's it's almost infuriating. Like the uh, way that he is able to balance, like you know, because like Gandalf the Grey, they really portray he's more. Uh, what's the word I want? Like he's more familiar. You know, he has more of um, like a quick to laugh, but also he and he like you know doesn't show off his strength in the same way that I think Gandalf the White does. I, I was I was going to mention like, oh, we'll probably talk about this later, but I, and I assume this because I'm not a book reader, but I think the transition from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White, Ian is definitely acting different, you know, mm-hmm. in both of those roles because he's obviously different and he's experienced something crazy and yeah. he's now this new authority figure and he's leveled up wizard wise yeah Yeah. (laughs) so he literally takes saruman's job (laughs) there you go (laughs) saruman gets demoted um or maybe just fired yeah Yeah, he is um but so but the thing that i kind of want to focus on is especially when we're talking about like what is what can lord of the rings teach us i guess um and I think something that has probably affected me deeper than you realize until, like, literally right now when I'm, like, typing up all these insane notes. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but so, when Gandalf is talking about Gollum um, in this part, because he really lays out everything for Frodo, and, uh, which is great. Like, I think the dialogue and, like, the exposition in the books, like, that's that's what they're great for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he is talking about how um, there is, it, even if it's a slight chance, there is still a chance of redemption for Gollum. And I think that, I think that they try to get at that in the movies, but they can't... Um, and they don't at least emphasize it enough for what I think is really true about Gollum. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't remember, I don't know what your impression of Gollum is from the movies. Because I feel like there is no redemption. I feel like there's moments of he's getting better, but then at the end, he still is like, let me eat, you know, Elijah Wood's hand. I- <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah um, (laughs) i mean yeah uh so that's that's the thing is that he he really tries to let frodo know 
that yes, Gollum has done horrible things. Like he literally tells Frodo right before this that Gollum has been known to like eat babies, to like steal babies from their cradle. Like, oh my god! Uh, I know he doesn't say it in so many words, but it's like essentially they're tracking Gollum to try to figure out because Gandalf wanted to inter- you know like interrogate him about where what the he- heck he got this ring, you know, and he finds out that Gollum accidentally got to Mordor and you know that's how he finds out that Sauron now knows about Frodo or not Frodo specifically but he knows about the Shire he knows about Hobbits Um, and so they're kind of not safe anymore in that respect but so when he's describing that you know he tells Frodo about how he found the ring he and about how he killed his friend in order to take the ring and you know he doesn't paint a great picture but he also says that you know i have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies but there is a chance of it and he talks about how um bilbo the way that bilbo treated Gollum is like so paramount for how the ring ended up affecting him Mm. because Gollum like Gollum being a creature that was really focused on like secrets like finding out secrets um you know it's he describes as he was really interested in roots and beginnings so he was like a digger Mm -hmm. um and when his friend Deagle 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 I don't even know Sometimes the books the books have accent marks and sometimes they don't show up with accent marks. But um, his friend finds the ring and Gollum immediately is like, and it technically was Gollum's birthday. And so he like rewrites it in his head that like, this is my birthday present. I should like, it should be my birthday present. If it's not already, I should rightfully get it because I want it, mm-hmm. you know, and the scene in the beginning of Return of the King. Mm-hmm, essentially so he describes it to Frodo here and um and and so like essentially Gollum falls to the ring faster than Bilbo or Frodo because he was already coming at it with this kind of like darkness about him you know like he wasn't like 100% mm-hmm. but Bilbo gets the ring and um although I think you see it subtly starting to work on him as far as like starting to lie about how he found it for example which we talked about last week um but he has a moment where he could have easily killed Gollum to escape because Mm -hmm. he was invisible wearing the ring but he sees Gollum and he feels, you know, like, you know, Gandalf calls it pity and mercy. I would say I was like empathy for Gollum. Just like, wow, look at this. This guy has a horrible life. Sad, sad soul. Yeah. And it's like, he just, he's like, this wouldn't be fair, you know? And so he jumps over him instead to get to the way out. Um, and so the, essentially because that is like Bilbo's disposition to, to have, to think of somebody over themselves is how he is able to a give up the ring and 
why it was able to like it mainly just prolonged his life it didn't really Mm -hmm. get a hold of him in the same way um it's just interesting because frodo pushes back on that a lot he's like oh he should have killed him he was like oh Gollum, like you know because gandalf tells him about how Gollum is essentially like a type of hobbit creature however Mm -hmm. distantly related because he Um, was a hobbit and then yeah and then becomes this like skinny wretched thing you know Mm -hmm. um and you know frodo is just like like hates that idea that they could have anything in common you know but Mm -hmm. ganoff is like no like that I mean, it's like, it's a, it's the way that he, the fact that he wasn't totally destroyed by this is, is amazing, you know, mm-hmm, like he should mm-hmm. have like, uh, uh, Gandalf explains how the ring makes one fade, like how, um, essentially how you become a ring wraith, you know? So like you, um, you wear it, if you're wearing it, uh, or if you keep it, you don't die, but you don't grow or obtain more life. You merely continue mm-hmm. until every last minute is a wariness. And if you often use the ring to make yourself invisible, you start to fade um, and become invisible permanently. And then you're kind of like in this spirit realm, which is where I think Sauron mostly operates in because he is a Maya. Mm-hmm. So then he's able to, like, more easily control you and use you. Um, And, but that doesn't happen with Gollum. Like, he has it for 500 years. Damn. Like, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think any of the men probably had their rings that long before they became invisible. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, before they were, like, Nazgulified. (laughs) Nazgulified? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that that information would have been really a really interesting addition to the movie because it adds to how great and heavy of a decision Frodo made um, at the council. You know, he's been briefed on how serious this is and what it does to a person, and he still volunteers to, to take it to Mordor. So I think that would have been a very, very interesting addition. Yeah, I think that there is, um, like, of course, you under. I I completely understand cutting things. For the they had to cut something, right? Yeah, it totally makes sense. But I don't know. Like, I've watched these movies like four billion times in my life, and I I cannot say with any certainty that he, that it's clear that Frodo understands the grav like what it is that he's agreeing to do. Like, he has his run-in with the ring wraiths. It's very scary. But I think it's hard to fully understand how scary, you know, in a way. like I, I, I do think the movies make it seem that he, he does not get it. He's just like, oh, I'm doing everyone a favor. Or, mm-hmm. you know, ooh, my own adventure like Bilbo had. But... Yeah, it's almost like in that scene... Frodo is just trying, like the way that they do it in the movie specifically. I'm not going to go into the books because there's too much, but mm-hmm. um, and we're not there yet. We're, we're not, not there. there. We haven't yet, even Andrea. left the Shire. <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like he almost does it to just get everybody to stop arguing. Yeah, yeah. So, 
and I and I think that that does do Frodo a disservice a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he he understands a lot of things and the, that's what that's another thing that happens in um, three is company is that you know how in the extended edition Frodo and Sam they're walking along and they there is an added scene where they see some elves they're very glowy it's like twilight and they're leaving yeah I mean he's Frodo says that they're leaving middle earth and so it's like clearly they're trying to show us that Frodo knows some things that are probably outside of his shirey realm but I think in uh they they don't show completely all the sides of Frodo because like in that scene in the in the book he um runs into they do run into this group of elves which essentially is really great because it scares away one of the Nazgul that was literally seconds from finding them because they weren't because there's in the book there's two scenes where they run into the Nazgul essentially and they're kind of combined in the movie which makes sense like there's one where they get into the hollow under the road, you know, which is like the famous movie scene. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do the thing where he gets down on the ground. Um, and then in the second time they run into a Nazgul, it's late at night. You basically can't see anything. And so they don't really have anywhere to hide. They're just like hoping that the darkness uh-huh. is enough. And then the thing gets on the ground, starts crawling towards Frodo, and he's, like, sniffing. I would have loved that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It, it's very spooky. Oh, my and gosh. It, and especially, and in the book, it's Sam, uh, Pippin, and Frodo that are walking, because they're going to meet Mary in Buckland. Because the whole premise of them walking is that Frodo sells his house to his relatives, the Sackville Bagginses, who he famously doesn't get along with. And then he's making it seem like he's going to retire in Buckland, where he grew up, so that people don't question. I mean, they still do because they're nosy, but Mm -hmm. like, so people aren't as alarmed when he just like is gone, you know? Yes. So, so that's how they put it. Like Gandalf tells him that he should go quickly, but not instantly. And I'm like, you probably should have gone instantly, though. Make it seem legit while you're leaving. And so Gandalf um, shows that, you know, in the book, he tells them that he should probably make for Rivendell. Um, He thinks that would be a good plan. And so Frodo likes that plan because he thinks that's where Bilbo went, you know. Um, But in the book, they have... Gandalf tell him to go to Bree because he does still need to get to Bree for like these other plot points that happen. But I know that they have Gandalf say that so that they can get around the whole Tom Bombadil situation. Mm. Um, so he just has it like, go to Bree, I'll meet you there. Gandalf in the book is supposed to have met him, is supposed to have met him for his birthday party, which was just kind of like a friendly dinner party. And he was supposed to travel with him to be kind of like um, help on on that point so he's like the whole time Frodo's like should I keep waiting for Gandalf should I go and obviously he should have gone like yeah along and then in a few chapters we'll find out exactly when Gandalf had wanted him to leave um so mm. so they're traveling along and they, they're running into the and they're calling them black riders they do not understand what they are um 
and they run into these elves and it's a moment where you start to see how Frodo is truly different from his friends and not I'm not saying like a huge different but in so far as um like they're all friendly to the elves and very much appreciate them but then uh you know like Pippin and Sam like fall asleep pretty early in that encounter and Frodo stays up talking to them because he wants news he's like speaking to them in elvish mm-hmm. and not, and it and it tells you that like not even all hobbits can read and write so it's like Frodo is he's such a more knowledgeable hobbit and he like you know is super polite and they're all like just eating it up that he can speak elvish and mm-hmm. talk to them you know and I think that's like stuff like that like to have that scene to me clearly recalls the note from the prologue about how hobbits and elves are estranged and hobbits are afraid of elves and then here you have Frodo speaking elvish and Mm -hmm. just carrying on and like he knows some of their history he knows like the names of some of like the big players from like the first age uh he just has like much more knowledge than probably anybody would have expected he is educated yeah and it's um and i think that's just kind of showing like hobbits aren't like like the shire is this kind of idyllic place and it's very sweet and there's not a lot to worry about you know like who wouldn't want to live in the Shire, you know, but at the same time, I know I do, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it just seems like a chill place. Like you just worry about eating and gardening and you're pretty much set. That's the life. Yeah. But then it, it talks about how, I think it shows how like, it's important to, even if there's a, like a hometown or a place or your country or wherever it is that you're from, I think it's like, you can love that place and then also having like respect and like cultural competency for other people's nations, all of that. Absolutely. I think Frodo is like a perfect like case for why that's good. Being proud of where you came from and where you live does not need to take away from other cultures or other places in the world they yeah they can live together exactly it's like that's one thing i think that he tries to with some of the dialogue between like some of the other hobbits like talking about how there are queer folk you know and like um acting as though like there's there's this part i think it's a little bit earlier in uh when they're getting ready for bilbo's party where some of the hobbits are acting as if like elves aren't even real anymore you know like like essentially that to me it just screams like your ignorance is not like an excuse for um like your behavior Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like i think that while the Shire is very sweet and of course, you know, Frodo does all this essentially to try to protect the Shire and the people that he loves. It's, um, I think it's also the kind of a cautionary tale. Like if you cut yourself off 
from the rest of the world and don't learn it as much as you can or even what you need to about what else is going on, it can essentially shoot yourself in the foot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you see at the end of Return of the King, which isn't even in the movies. So that'll be fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> More learning for me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is actually Lord of the Rings school. Uh, <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> but as far as like getting back to Gandalf, I think that he is it's stuff like this that really makes him one of my favorite characters you know how like the way that he talks to Frodo about things and um just the way Tolkien writes him is just so good like the way like um the pity and mercy like I think a lot of people know the version from the movies where he says you know when Frodo is like you know it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance and Gandalf says pity it was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand pity and mercy not to strike without need and he has been well rewarded Frodo be sure that he took so little hurt from the evil and escaped in the end because he began his ownership of the ring so with pity and um, Frodo responds that he that Gollum deserved deserves to die essentially and you know they combine this these two lines these two uh, passages in the movies but then he says deserves it i dare say he does many that live deserve death and some die that deserve life can you give it to them then do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment for even the very wise cannot see all ends i have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies but there is a chance of it and he is bound up with the fate of the ring my heart tells me that he has some part to play yet, for good or ill, before the end. And when it comes, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many, yours not least. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous writing. Yes, it is. It's like, mm, Gandalf, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10, Gandalf. 10 out of 10. And, you know, they take those and they kind of give it to Gandalf in the Minds of Moria in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't get all of it. Um, and I also think that there are some moments with Gollum that I think will be fun to talk about when once he's, like, officially kind of, like, he's obviously not a member of the Fellowship, but when he is officially is on the journey with them. Mm-hmm. Um, where I do think Tolkien shows moments where he could have been if not totally redeemed at least saved from being a completely evil character to me i think that while tolkien doesn't do it in this same way i think he it it, his the way that he puts the story together and like characterizes everyone really reminds me a lot of like a miyazaki movie like how there's never really a character that is 100% bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that is what he's going for, at least. Like, orcs, probably not. <laughs> like, that one's hard. <laughs> they just seem all of, bad. <laughs> yeah, because they're kind of just evil incarnate. But there are moments, um, like when we get to Bree, where there is like a orcish character that we don't see for very long. But there is something like... 
it's unclear if they have full autonomy or not. But if we want to assume that they are just supposed to kind of represent, like, if they're not to represent other peoples that do bad things, then they can represent that, like, orcish desire, maybe, to be bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And some people just give into that completely, and then you have evil things happen. Um, but for, like, all the other characters, I think that we're supposed to, be, like, nobody is supposed to be, like, a hundred percent a perfect good guy. I mean, and that's hard because Aragorn and Faramir kind of act like a hundred percent perfect good guys in the mm-hmm. book. Um, but I don't think that anybody that is not behaving great is supposed to be necessarily inherently evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes for, you know, Boromir. I think that goes for Denethor. I think that like, definitely goes for Gollum um, and other characters too. But I... I think though that is a good choice uh, in narratives when people do that. Uh, almost every character in Game of Thrones is 50-50. You know, you cannot tell me that not one person is all good or all bad because they they swing in both realms all throughout the that series. And I think that makes a lot of sense just like as insofar as like you're building a world or and you're you're and you're telling a story within it. It's it's going to be incredibly hard, and I think just like I think it would take you out of it in a, in a way if like there weren't good people that made bad decisions. Yeah, it's that's realistic. We all do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the fandom, particularly because of the movies, because like. I know a lot of people have said that, like, you know, they don't have the attention span to read the books or the way that Tolkien goes on about, like, describing the landscapes, for example, you know, turns them off and that's fine. Um, But you do lose some of the, the characterization that gives you a little bit more insight into these guys, Um, which... I think we'll definitely talk about more, but I think that it's super important to keep in mind that we're already framing Gollum as redeemable, you know, this early on, and we haven't even seen him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the reader is supposed to know that he, while he he's terrible and he's, you know, like, there's so many reasons to dislike him that it is at least for Frodo. Like I know like Sam never likes Gollum and that's, and I get it. He's so protective of Frodo, but for Frodo, um, I think in the movies to me, the vibe is more like he wants to hope that Gollum is redeemable because he thinks he could become like Gollum. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's what think... the movies get putting out. Is that the vibe? Yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah. But I don't even think it's just that. I think that it could be part of that. But I think it's that, like, Frodo understands that, like, the empathy thing again. Like, I think Frodo understands that Gollum has not had a great time. And sometimes when you have a terrible time, you make terrible decisions. Yes. (laughs) And when you're, literally think about living, if not 
the full 500 years. 90% of 500 years under a mountain. Alone in the dark with only orcs for company that you occasionally kill to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a part I didn't put it in my notes, but I'll paraphrase it. Um, where Gandalf explains to Frodo that I th- that he thinks that Gollum almost you could say enjoyed his conversation with Bilbo, like the riddle game and thinking about the sun and the trees and the wind, you know, things outside of the mountain situation he's put mm-hmm. himself in and that he he enjoyed it, but the part of him that's like consumed by the ring hated it. So then he it essentially lashes out, you know, Um but I, there's like all the, there's like moments for Gollum that we'll continue to talk about that yeah. I just think are super fascinating about him as a character. And I think what you just said really does make it go full circle to what we were talking about earlier because desperate people can make desperate decisions, bad decisions, and not enough people realize that in yeah. everyday life. I, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, and this is why we love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> because it, it's, do you hear Corky growling at me? Why does he have so much attitude? Corky, what's the problem? The fun, the fun part about Corky, um, I don't know if I'm going to cut this or not, but the, the fun part about Corky is that he, uh, he's a rescue, obviously, and I don't know what his life was like, but if his eyes are closed and he's not looking at you, um, can we also just tie this into how fear makes people do stupid things? Because he is, he's constantly, I think he's constantly got thoughts in his head about somebody trying to, I don't know, murder him, hurt him, mm-hmm. something. Like, somebody's going to jump up and surprise him. So sometimes if my chair moves, and maybe he feels it, because his bed is, like, right next to my chair, and then he starts growling, like, don't try it, and it's like, nobody's trying to hurt you Mm -hmm. but it's Um, so embedded in him from whatever happened before i know he's a lot better like i remember we used to not be able to get out the duster or the vacuum with him not freaking out but poor guy he's still still not perfect i mean who is am i right ain't that the truth i'm just waiting for him to like snap at me and i'm not too worried about him biting me i'm like covered in a blanket (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then um i guess as kind of like an ending fun fact there is a song that um happens while they're walking and let me just get my book out so frodo Sam and Pippin are walking along in the dark on their way to meet Mary. Um, and then they sing this walking song written by Bilbo. Um, here's the first verse. Upon the hearth, the fire is red. Beneath the roof, there is a bed. But not yet weary are our feet. Still round the corner we may meet. A sudden tree or standing stone that none have seen but we alone. Tree and flower and leaf and grass. Let them pass. Let them pass. Hill and water under sky, pass them by, pass them by. 
But the part that's used in the movies is the last verse. And um, as someone who's mainly watched the movies, tell me if, uh, like, I'm, as I'm reading it, if the song pops into your head or not. I think uh, for a lot of people it will. Um, okay. <clears throat> Get ready. A reciting voice. Home is behind, the world ahead, and there are many paths to tread. Through shadows to the edge of night, until the stars are all alight. The world behind and home ahead will wander back to home and bed. Mist and twilight, cloud and shade, away shall fade, away shall fade. Fire and lamp and meat and bread and then to bed and then to bed. So this doesn't come up until um, Return of the King when Denethor is like, come, sing me a song. Oh my gosh, I didn't even recognize it. <laughs> and Pippin like, sounds so so sad. And yes. you're not putting the sad on it. So I, know. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know because like Pippin is like, Home is behind the world ahead. You yes. know, it's very so- it's slow so and somber. somber. Yes. Um, and it's it's interesting, like, it, in the way that, like, you can tell that they made some verse changes here t- to fit the, that moment in the movie. Yeah. And, of course, like, getting Billy Boyd to sing, I think, was really fun and really cool. And it, it's it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful moment in Return of the yes. King. Um, but it, to, as just thinking about it in as a Hobbit song, uh, it's it's interesting to when you think about it. Okay, so like the line, it, they he says. Mist and shadow, cloud and shade, all shall fade. And in here, it's oh, he. They're talking about like the mist and the twilight, the cloud and the shade. Like it's like telling them to fade away because like we've got fire and lamp and meat and bread, and then we're and we're going to bed. Like I'm not afraid. Like things are pretty chill. Mm-hmm. To think that a, a Hobbit song would talk about all shall fade i don't think they ever would but bilbo would maybe but he says away shall fade and then they changed the in this movie the song is Uh all shall fade so it's like yes but no (laughs) like it totally works in the movie i'm glad that they did it because Uh it it gives um because we don't see a ton of the Hobbit songs in the films, so it's. I think it's great to to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking about insofar as Hobbits, I don't think they would ever think about the world ending or like their way of life ending. Or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not what they did. They thought yeah. about. Tea and gardening and food. Yeah, I think and it's... living um, peacefully. It's a little too doom, doom and gloom for the everyday hobbit. Yeah. So I just think that is a fun fact. I love it when they include the songs. Um, there's so many good ones. There's some um, in 
Elvish that you are never going to hear me recite because I don't know. You don't speak <laughs> Elvish, Andrea? You know what? I haven't reached that level of nerd yet. Okay. Okay. And I just, and you know, hats off to anybody that does know Elvish because I just, when? When did you learn? Like, how, where was the time? Maybe in school? No. I don't know. No. That's dedication. Yeah. On a whole nother level. Hats off to you, nerds. Because you are our leaders. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. You walked it so hard. The rest of us could. The other nerd. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I'm really impressed by people that have gone that deep into it because for me like i like i like knowing the fun facts i like knowing like the the overarching themes of the story you know like if we ever talk about the silmarillion more that one is there's it's so chock full of things that it's like for me the things that stick out are only the things that i can have like an emotional connection to if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's just like too many characters with too many F names. So like I can't get all those right. Of course. <laughs> so that is in a nutshell the I think the highlight reel from um, Shadow of the Past and Three is Company. And in our next episode if my my, doc- my document not gone alone. Okay, so in the next episode, we're going to talk about a shortcut to mushrooms and a conspiracy unmasked. And so that's essentially getting us through, um, I don't think most of it. We're going to see uh, Farmer Maggot, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to see Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin kind of figuring out next steps. Understood. Mm-hmm. So my goal for the next episode is I want everyone to walk away from that as a Farmer Maggot fan. Is he a G? I think he's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) I think he is more of a badass than people give him credit for. Well, he's in this. As far as Hobbits goes. Gotcha, gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not an an Aragorn or something. (laughs) But for a Hobbit, like, that's a real one. That's. I can't wait to know more. Yeah. So join us next week for another episode. Thank you so much for being here. um, And we will see you soon. Or actually, we won't see you. You'll hear us soon. You get it. You get it. (laughs)